Flamethrowers, welcome back to Burn It All Down. I'm Lindsay Gibbs, and I'm so excited to be joined by Jackie Powell of Bleacher Report and The Next. Jackie, hi. <laughs> Hello, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be reunited here on Zoom post our Minneapolis adventure. Yeah, so Jackie and I were uh, in Minneapolis, and if you listen to the episode we released on Tuesday, you know, I have COVID. Jackie also has COVID. So Jackie was supposed to be at the draft in person. But what a consolation prize we have for her here today to sit and talk about everything that went down at the WNBA draft. The draft was on Monday night. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon. So I'm going to read through our first round. For the first pick, The Dream took Ryan Howard from Kentucky. Number two, The Fever took Melissa Smith from Baylor. For three, the Mystics, Shakira Austin from Ole Miss. Fourth pick, again, the Fever, Emily Engsler from Louisville. At number five, the Liberty took Nayara Sabli from Oregon. Number six, Lexi Hull from Stanford, just like everyone predicted. Um, At number seven, Veronica Burton from Northwestern went to the Dallas Wings. Number eight, Maya Hollingshed from Colorado went to the Aces. Number nine, to the Sparks, Ray Burrell from Tennessee. Number 10, the Fever again, Queen Egbo from Baylor. Uh, 11, Kirsten Bell to the Aces. She's from Florida Gulf Coast. And 12, to the Connecticut Sun, Nia Cloudon from Michigan State. Jackie, let's talk about these first three picks. Um, Ryan Howard to the Dream, Melissa Smith to the Fever, Shakira Austin to the Mystics. Did those pretty much go according to plan for you? Any surprises there? There weren't any surprises. I think these first three picks made a lot of sense. And I would say the first five picks made a lot of sense. And then it was after that when things got a little nutty. Yeah, I want to just, Ryan Howard, for those who haven't followed her career, what is she going to bring to the dream and why, you know, number one overall pick, that's a big deal. You know, Kentucky didn't go far in the NCAA tournament this year. I think a lot of people maybe um, who don't follow college basketball as closely aren't as familiar with her. So Ryan is, she's a very unassuming talent. I don't say that as a um, as not a compliment. I think it very much so is. And I think she gets her trajectory is what the dreams is right now. And I think that's why it's such a great fit. Who Ryan is on the court is she's a three-level scorer. She's a guard wing. She's 6'2". You can put her in a lot of different positions on the court. And Atlanta loved that. And a lot of teams love that. Uh, she also is a two-way player, which is incredibly valuable. But a reason why people may not know her name as much is because she was on a team that she pretty much carried the load. Kentucky did not have a lot of talent around her. You didn't really see her on the big stage during the final levels of the tournament. Uh, you saw her at her best in the SEC tournament where Kentucky upset South Carolina. What's interesting about Ryan and and the concern there is 
well, why did the Mystics trade out of that top spot? I personally believe that the Mystics are in win-now mode, and they didn't think that someone like Ryan, who is so talented but needs something different from her coaching staff, she needs maybe different support than what the Mystics are willing to give. So I, I think she just fits really well with Atlanta. They're a team that's rebuilding. And so their trajectories are going to go along with each other in a nice little parallel line. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I, I'm going to go ahead and, and skip to number three, um, and then we'll go back and pick up uh, Nelissa Smith. I, of course, covered the Washington Mystics for years and actually covered Shakira Austin, the player they chose as center from Old Miss. First two years of her career, she was with Maryland. So, um, you know, I got to know her very well. And I think, you know, because she did leave Maryland and kind of a shock exit, you know, I think there were maybe questions about whether, you know, she'd be the, you know, personality wise and dedication wise and, you know, a good fit for this team. But the thing about Shakira is that she has said from day one, her focus has been to be a pro. And a lot of college players actually don't talk like that. Like they might behind closed doors, but you don't talk to many top recruiter freshmen who say, no, my goal is to be the number one draft pick in four years. And I think Shakira has really dedicated herself fully to being pro ready. You know, one of the reasons she went to Ole Miss was because she wanted more responsibility. She wanted more on her shoulders. She wanted more pressure. Um, and she certainly got that. And now she just talked in press about going to a team where she doesn't have to be that, right? Like, and, and it's going to be, I think, a nice transition. But I think for me, because Shakira has always owned her pro desires and set herself on that path. I wasn't surprised that Tebow was drawn to that. And then, you know, to go back, um, Nalissa Smith, uh, what is she going to bring to the fever? And let's just dive right into it. <laughs> so I first want to say that drafting Nalissa Smith was a great pick for the fever. I think what she's going to bring is just a will to win and an intensity that the fever haven't had in quite a long time. And I think that's a bit of the desire here, especially bringing back GM or interim GM Lynn Dunn back into the fold. She was coaching this team when you had Tamika Catchings and Breon January, two really intense and uh, fiery players. And I think that's what you get with Melissa Smith. You also get a lot of athleticism. If you think about who the Fever were in the past few years when it comes to in the front court, their front court was not very athletic at all. I mean, they traded Tierra McCowan for a reason because they wanted a different look in their front court. And they're going to get it. They're going to get it with Nalissa Smith. They're also going to get it with Emily Anxler in the post and on the wing. And they're going to get a lot of defensive intensity from Anxler as well. I do believe Smith's defense has been steadily improving. I think Nikki Collins' system at Baylor was a huge asset to her in that she really started to learn about switching. You know, you have to be able to guard multiple positions at the pro level. So I think her defense is good, but I don't think it's where Anxler is when it comes to her instincts. But when you look at those two picks for the Fever, at two and at four, 
really nice building blocks for Indiana. So the next two, uh, Jackie Powell and her piece on Bleach Report, had Indiana as both a winner and a loser of the draft. So um, at number six, they took Lexi Hall from Stanford. Lexi Hall was not invited to the draft. A lot of mocks didn't have her in the first two rounds. I have um, Then Queen Egbo from Baylor at number 10. So let's talk Lexi first. Uh, I was legitimately stunned by that. I was texting a talent evaluator and he was like, Jackie, get ready to be shocked. And I was like, what? (laughs) He's like, just wait. And then the shock came. So with Lexi Hall, the reason I was shocked is because I had heard that when it came to the players in her, I guess, category or position, if you will, there were wings that were just more pro-ready than her. I think she has a lot of pro-ready intangibles, like when it comes to IQ, when it comes to um, competitive spirit and being a pro teammate, I think she has it. But some of the things that she doesn't have are physicality, strength. Uh, if If you watched her at Stanford, the way she was able to absorb contact, I mean, she can't absorb a lot. And it's not her fault. She just has to get stronger. So I just, I thought that Hull was a player that she's drafted in the second round. She comes to pro camp. She gets waived. She goes overseas, gets a lot better overseas. And then she finds a way back into the W a couple years later. That was the path I had for her. I had no idea that she was going to go in the first round. But... Indiana and Lynn Dunn, they had an explanation for this. They said that from their perspective, from their subjective perspective, that Lexi Hole was the best shooter in this draft. Lexi Hole is a great shooter. She is. She shot very well in her senior year. I don't know if she's the best. I'm just not sure. But this is what the Fever believed. They wanted much better shooting because I believe the Fever were the worst shooting team in the W in 2021. They thought... We don't know if she's going to be there when we pick at 10 again. And they really liked her. So they picked her at six. All right. Queen Egbo at 10. That's another pick for the fever that really confused you. Why? So during the pre-draft call, which is something that the league does every year, they bring on Latrina Robinson and Rebecca Lobo, ESPN's two analysts. And then they bring on some coaches and GMs. During the ESPN analyst section of the call, for some reason, both of them talked quite a bit about Queen Egbo. Clearly, they knew something that we did not, because in my discussions with different talent evaluators around the league, the idea was Egbo was someone who would go in the third round. She didn't really transition well into Nikki Collins' pro system as quickly as Melissa Smith. She was in foul trouble a lot. She struggled with physicality in the post. But for some reason, talent evaluators, they like her length and they like how aggressive she is on the boards. And I believe that's what Lyndon said there. But I just felt like there were better forwards. There were better players that could be picked at 10. Yeah. 
Um, quickly touching on a few, what are your thoughts on Sabali to the Liberty? I know that's a team you cover closely. And I know it's kind of looped in a little bit to um, Kubai, who was their pick in the second round. I think the idea here for the Liberty was they were going to address their their biggest need, which is depth in the post. And although if Emily Anxler was still available, I do believe and I do know that they were very interested in her because of defensively what she brings. When talking about the Liberty, I'd say they have two needs. Really good defensive players and depth in the post. And so they accomplished this with both Niara Sabali and Lorella Kubai. Uh, with Niara, the idea is, and I understand there are concerns about her health, and the Liberty know that as well. The idea is they have a medical staff and a player development staff in place that are willing to be very patient with her, and they're willing to take their time with her. She has a ton of upside, and she can be a, a player that's in this league for a long time. That's their belief. And so with Kubai, it's more what she can do defensively. She was up for the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award, which, as we know, went to Aaliyah Boston. But they also like her for her playmaking ability. She's a really good passer. And Sandy Brondello really likes it when you have bigs that can pass. And they recently acquired Steph Dolson. So it's a good post group that they've developed here. Awesome. Very quickly, Veronica Burton from Northwestern to the Wings. This was the seventh pick overall. Uh, she's a point guard. Uh, this was another pick that confused some people. Did it confuse you? I just, Burton is a great prospect, and I just don't think the Wings will have space for her. I don't think they'll be dedicated to what she has to offer. The wings need defense. Yes, they do, but they have two other point guards. I just saw Burton thriving with the Connecticut Sun because they needed someone like her. We'll get to the Connecticut Sun in a second. Another team that had two picks in the first round, the Las Vegas Aces. I know nothing about Maya Hollingshed uh, from Colorado. That's who they picked at eight. And then at 11, they picked Kirsten Bell, a guard from Gulf Coast, who I am more familiar with. Uh, What do you know about Maya? And why do you think this is the pick that I don't even know who the GM of the Aces is right now, but (laughs) they went with. I believe they just hired uh, Natalie Williams. Oh, yes. But that was announced like this week. Yes, but my impression is probably she's been on the job for longer than it's been announced. What I yeah. know about the Aces and Hollingshed is that uh, Natalie Williams and Becky Hammond wanted a stretch four, and that's what they get in Hollingshed. She has worked throughout her entire college career at Colorado at improving her three-point shot, and she has. She's like your 3 and D player. She's very versatile on the defensive end and very athletic. So when it comes to scoring in transition, she can do that too. I like it. And then Bell, I mean, I just, I love a mid-major guard under Becky Hammond. It's hard not to love that. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the few where I was like, oh, this feels, this feels right. They also needed a wing, someone who's physical and big you know, in the in the wing and backcourt because Jackie Young was all they really had. Yeah. 
to round it up at number 12, the Connecticut Sun got what I think you said could be the steal of the draft. I know Holly Rowe agreed with that. A lot of people very high on this pick. Uh, I know Kurt Miller was thrilled that Mia Cloudon dropped down to the Connecticut Sun at number 12. Why is Kurt Miller, like, why can we hear his, like, squeal of joy from Connecticut right now? Connecticut needed a guard. I think that was obvious. Initially, I thought they were going to go more on a defensive route, someone who can three and D it and fill the hole that is left by Breon January. But what this tells me is that Kurt Miller understands that they need to get a little bit more offensive rather than defensive, which was their downfall during the playoffs. They didn't have that closer. They have Courtney Williams back. But what I like about Cloudon is that she can play both the one and the two. She's more comfortable playing the two, but she's a nice complement to Courtney Williams. Uh, Cloudon is very comfortable scoring everywhere. She's another shot creator, which is what the Sun really needed in their backcourt because Jasmine Thomas is more like point of attack defender type. Natisha Heideman, she's really good from three, can create a little bit, but in Nia Cloudon, what you have here is you have someone who can create their shot at will, sort of like Courtney Williams. Love that. Um, I did forget to talk about one other player in round one, but Ray Burrell, the guard from Tennessee at number nine, went to the Los Angeles Sparks. Any any kind of uh, last minute, last second thoughts on Ray Burrell? I love watching her play is, is my only thought. Like, she's just fun. I just knew the Sparks were going to pick her if she was available. And they fill, she fills a need that they have. They sort of need a versatile wing that can slash a little bit more than Katie Lou Samuelson. And that's who she is. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I'm just going to read through round two and ask for an overall impression, which is really hard because there's so much talent in this draft. So number 13, we got Kayla Pointer from LSU, went to the Aces. I love that pick. Uh, Nikki Vargas, of course, is the president of Aces, was her head coach at LSU, but is also um, 
Nikki Vargas is Caleb Pointer's aunt. So love those connections. Kristen Williams from UConn went to DC at 14. Nas Hillman from Michigan went to the Dream at 15. Another seal of the draft uh, is what we're hearing from uh, folks in the Dream Camp. Kiana Smith from Louisville um, went to the Sparks at 16. My 336 Greensboro girl, Alyssa Cunane from NC State, went to the Seattle Storm. Wow, the ESPN page is telling me that Laura Kubai went to the Storm as well, but <laughs> I know that she went to the Liberty, so <laughs> you're not going to fool me, ESPN. Olivia Ness Nelson Odota from UConn went to the Sparks at 19. Destiny Henderson, South Carolina, went to the Fever at 20. Avina Westbrook from UConn went to the Storm at 21. Kayla Jones from NC State went to the Lynx at 22. Aisha Shepard, Virginia Tech, went to the Aces at 23. Jordan Lewis from Baylor went to the uh, Sun at 24. We know it is very hard for first-round picks, let alone second-round picks, to make teams. Um, if you had to pick two players from the second round that you think could be make the roster and actually get playing time this season, is there anybody on here? Yeah. There, there could be even three of them. All right. I think Pointer, huge possibility there. They need a backup point guard, the Aces. Mm. I think Kristen Williams is going to be Kristen Williams is a classic Mike Tebow wild card. And based on the presser last night, I think there's a very high chance that she makes the team. And the third one I'd say is probably Nas Hillman because the dream they're going to have the space for her and they're going to have the player development infrastructure to take on what she requires. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Like I said, I I hope Kunain makes it onto the roster (laughs) in Seattle. I think uh, it could be fun to watch, but I know there's a lot of speculation. I mean, it's just so tough. Finally, we're just going to go over round three. I think for the highlight for most people, myself included, was Amisha Williams-Holiday from Jackson State being picked 25th overall by the Indiana Fever, the first um, HBCU player to be drafted in 20 years. That's a huge deal. Um, My Dotson, Notre Dame, going to the Mercury at 26. Amy Atwell from Hawaii, going to the Sparks at 27. Hannah Shervin from South Dakota at 28 to the Lynx. Uh, Sika Kone from Mali on the Liberty. I don't think we're planning on seeing her this this season in the W. Definitely a name to keep an eye out for. Um, Jasmine Dickey from Delaware to the Wings. Jazz Bond from North Florida also to the Wings. Macy Williams from IUPUI, um, which is like Indiana University at Purdue University. I don't know. It's something. I love actually her. And I love her with the Mercury. I'm very excited for that. Jade Melbourne from Australia to the Storm at 33. Allie Patberg, Miss Indiana herself. Love it. From Indiana to the Indiana Fever at 34. At 35, Faustina Fua from LSU to the Aces. And then to round up things, Kiara Smith from Florida to the Connecticut Sun. Is there one player here that you think could make a roster this that has a chance? Yes, and that is Maya Dodson, which is a good transition mm-hmm. into talking about the Phoenix Mercury. 
because yeah. they have a need in the post, obviously. Yeah. So it was interesting. We've talked about the Brittany Griner situation on, on Burn It All Down before and talked about how sensitive a topic it is and how we're kind of taking cues from her camp and from those in the know in the situation as to how to talk about it, you know, and we all want to get Brittany Griner out of Russia as soon as possible. Um, information is that she is safe, that she's getting visits a couple times a week, that she can get notes. Kathy Engelbert opened the press conference saying that getting her home is the top priority and they're working on it. And they also addressed it on the broadcast. So I think it's very good that nobody's sweeping this under the rug. With it all comes uncomfortable questions because this is a sport and athletes are humans first and foremost, but the season's happening and it looks unlikely that Brittany Griner will be a part of it. Seems like they're trying to work out something, a special deal where Brittany will get her salary, but it might not count against the Mercury's salary cap. A very unique circumstance that I feel like most everyone in the WNBA would agree to, um, <laughs> given uh, what's happening. But on the court, they're missing a big piece without Brittany Griner. So you mentioned Maya Dodson. It, that seemed to me saying we need some front court juice here. Oh, yes. I was reading Alex Simon's latest on the next sort of about what the Mercury's draft means. And he mentioned Dodson in particular who has ties to both head coach Vanessa Nygaard because they were both Stanford alumna. And then she obviously was a graduate student at Notre Dame, so there's that connection to Skylar Diggins-Smith and Brianna Turner. But what's to like about her is she is a pro-ready body. She's very strong, and she's she's a very athletic big. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about the way that Brittany's detainment was covered and addressed in the in the draft coverage last night it seems like almost a crude question to ask but I also think we do a lot of media criticism on this show and I think it's important to kind of address what how how did you feel um about the tone that was struck before the broadcast when Kathy Engelbert came out and did her pre-draft presser the first thing she said was to talk about BG I thought that tone was very appropriate. I think it, it was it was somber, but it was just reiterating how how we're not not talking about this, but also we want to speak about it respectfully and we want to honor BG. During the broadcast it, it did not feel like that. It felt a, a little bit forced. It felt all over the place. There were multiple BG updates, which were sort of the same update. I mean, I feel like what would have been best, and maybe because COVID brain is doing this to me, Lindsay, do you remember if when Kathy first addressed the broadcast, did she talk about BG to begin with? I think she did. I think she said it at the top of the program, because I remember her saying it, and I wasn't on that press conference. So, so I believe that just by addressing it at the top, and maybe adding some of what Holly said in that we've been in touch with her people. She's, she's, she's safe. There was one bit of Holly's two reports that I think was important. You mention it at the top and then you move on to the prospects. J- just the, the constant back and forth of, oh, we're going to update you on BG, but it's really the same report on BG. It added a very chaotic flair to the story. 
And, and generally, when you talk about the broadcast, it was very chaotic. It was a hot mess. It was a hot ass mess. I'm sorry. This whole, look, I do not feel good. I have not been able to work in like a week. It did not go into last night planning to be critical. It was so unorganized from the camera work to the direction to Holly Rowe just running around from table to table like she was Billy on the street. None of the cameras, like we didn't get the exact reaction from players when their names were called. And I left there feeling like I had no idea who was drafted when, where, or why. You know, it's rare to have this two-hour window dedicated to the W when there's not it's not a game, right? So what they try and do, they try and fit in every single thing about the league, about the teams, about the on-court, about the off-court, about women's sports as a whole into one two-hour window that is also a draft of 36 players. That's dumb as hell. Yes. It made me mad because I think ESPN has done a lot right lately when it comes to women's sports and women's basketball. I think they have so much talent and insight but there's something about the way that the rest of their coverage is evolving but their WNBA coverage is staying exactly the same that's not working and Holly wasn't connecting well with the players maybe it's because she has a billion jobs mm-hmm. I mean I don't know how she does all the jobs she has but she's not as you know on the sidelines for the women's game anymore because she's doing a lot of other things. Yeah. You know, you, I've tweeted, I mean, I think Monica McNutt should be on everything. Like, she's the most talented person I've, like, ever seen on television. I spent some time with her at the Final Four. Oh, but, um, anyways, it was just, it was disappointing is what it was. Yep. There were moments that they didn't even get to. Um, Williams Holiday being the HBCU pick. Like, that wasn't even mentioned. Literally had a piece from Anscape, which was formerly the Undefeated. That was all about him. Yeah, the best piece. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's they have all of this talent, but the lack of being able to connect it all and package it properly is what blows my mind. I also think that the the chaos that we saw, in addition to it being a haphazard broadcast and Holly not connecting, I think it was the nature of the event and the nature of the space. I was talking last night to someone who was there. Her name is Isabel Rodriguez, and she's at the next. She's one of our new folks. She was just really shocked by how chaotic the entire event was and how you had to keep running up and down stairs. She would, like, bump into some of the prospects while running up and down the stairs. There were people you know, going off in different rooms, playing games. It just, it seemed like it was too much and that the W needs to decide. This was the first in-person draft under Kathy Engelbert. And I think they need to figure out what do they want the WNBA draft to be? Do they want it to be about the prospects? Do they want it to be a celebration of the league? Do they want it to be a time where they provide Brittany Griner updates. It, it just, there was so much going on. And going forward, they need to decide what they want their event to be. I do agree. Like, what's your priority? And it's tough. I'm not saying any of this is easy, right? But I am saying that there are enough people at ESPN who are um, experienced in 
event production and in doing big events and in doing drafts that this shouldn't be happening. This is embarrassing. And this is final, final question. I wasn't mad that they had like a fashion segment on the show. Like that was fine. It's just don't do that at the expense of like announcing prospects, announcing who is drafted. Anyways, who was your best dressed of the night? Oh, that's easy. Shakira Austin. No doubt. Shakira Austin looked incredible over the years it's become such a showcase at all the different ways there are to be a top prospect and to be on center stage in this league right and I think it was Katie Barnes they tweeted something like you know a lot of places say come as you are but don't mean it but the w like means it now they do now they do players have fought hard for that But I think if there's the most positive from the draft night, from what the draft has become, is that. And it's so cool to watch. Um, All right, Jackie, how can people follow you? Y'all can follow me at the handle at ClassicJPow on Twitter, on Instagram. You can read my women's basketball work at Bleacher Report. I do more national stuff there. And then for more New York Liberty-focused stuff, you can head over to thenexthoops.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on Burn It All Down. Thank you. It was an honor. That's it for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate. Please rate the show uh, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn. We've got show links and transcripts on our website, burnitalldownpod.com. And there's also a link to our merch at our bonfire store. Once again, you can find that all at burnitalldownpod.com. Thank you to our patrons. Uh, Your support literally makes all of this possible. If you want to become a sustaining donor, visit patreon.com slash burnitalldown. Burn on and not out.